All right, welcome to the Good Game Podcast. Tobias, after a little bit of delay due to, uh, let's see, disease, plague, yeah. uh, a, a nephew oh. being born on my end. But, Congratulations, but, uh, by the way. Yeah, thank you. So, yeah, Miles. So I, I definitely am getting Miles. I already ordered Miles quite a bit of Spider-Man gear. Um, nice, nice. I'll pretend it's his namesake. I don't think it is. My brother has not denied or confirmed that. Um <laughs> But uh, yeah, so despite the delay, we are here mostly on the day that we would do it, but um, you know, yeah. about a week behind. So we apologize yeah, for that. We, we've had some uh, some speed bumps, but that was bound to happen at some point. So yeah, I mean, it is flu season, as as Tobias and I were talking about, and we are both teachers. So occasionally, yeah, occasionally you a, go down. Yeah, we have this. We have a not insubstantial uh, like. Spread, spreading across time zones so it's it's already like uh, it's almost not so easy for us to find a point for, that suits the both of us yeah the, the point uh, is here we're saying is you're welcome <laughs> yes that's exactly it <laughs> we fought hard here anyway we got a great episode because we're going to be talking about esports with dr chris haskell so uh, it's going to be a, just a great way to start what i would assume is going to be one of many episodes that we will have talking about esports in the educational and the school setting because oh, yeah, um, for sure. if you're not paying attention, it's kind of a big deal and it's yeah. only going to get bigger. Yep. Um, so it, it is great. Uh, I, I do esports in my school. I'm the coordinator. You know, we um, it, it's a great program. Um, and we'll bring it up in the interview with with Doc. But um, yeah, it's a really cool thing. And if if you're interested in you know, students being able to be more independent and, you know, more of their own community. It's, it's a great way to do it. But again, we'll save that yeah. for later. Um, but on the more na- uh, national stage, um, uh, one thing is from the scientific perspective is, I mean, we talk about a lot with esports, talk a lot about like the problem solving and the intellectual and the cognitive benefits of, you know, competitive esports at that high level. But one thing that's interesting is they're they're finding even on the physiological level, there's quite a bit that's comparable to, to physical sports um, with esports competitors. This is not the article that I have, but I remember even reading one that's found that they were like esport players at high, at high level. No, maybe it wasn't esports. Maybe it was chess. Did you see that article about like no, I didn't. chess oh. competitive chess players? They burn calories at like at a rate comparable <laughs> to, like you know, like a soccer player or something. Yeah, I mean, I'm, um, in yeah. one way, I, I, in one way, I'm not surprised because, um, oh, obviously they, they, um, they don't burn calories in the same way. But think about how how much energy it takes for you to like compete, like I say, a whole day in a, in a in a chess uh, uh, tournament, for instance. I yeah, mean, have I can't you have you ever how... done like? Have you ever done like a tournament, like a Magic no, the Gathering tournament no. or, or something like that? No, I suck at chess and Magic the Gathering <laughs> because I, and general and strategy games in general because I get this like really uh, bad tunnel vision that I'm so preoccupied with one uh, area of the board that I completely like leave my back door back door open so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm I'm really not a competitive player. I'm like totally a recreational gamer. Um, yeah, I, I dabbled in it. Like, if I'm really into a game, I, I've dabbled in one or two. And you're right; yeah. it is very stressful. But but just, just um, sitting and playing, like you, yeah. like you're exhausted at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, I I I I've I've played forty k from time to time, and even mm. like a whole day of that can yeah. really really like uh, drain you. 
Yeah, so I, I, I agree with you. I'm not surprised either. But anyway, here's a, a recent study that found that the stress factors, the stressors, are almost identical to what they would see with uh, physical athletes. So like the, 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 the challenge you're putting in front of you on a physiological level is, is almost identical. And uh, mm. fr from the article um, from Ars Technica, it says, uh, Birch and the other researchers concluded that esports players faced 51 different stress factors, most notably team communication problems and anxiety about competing in front of a live audience akin to stage fright. Those are the mm. same stressors typically experienced by professional sport athletes competing at the highest levels. Communication mm. issues included players not listening, not following instructions, aggressively negative, often profane verbal criticism from the in-game leader during gameplay. So this is, you know, like when you're watching on like an NFL sideline or a Premier League sideline, that same intensity and stressors are there for mm. esports e as well, probably for better and, and for worse. I can imagine so many of the same kind of um, social dynamics being uh, at, being um, a, th a thing in esports as in any other team sports. Yeah, it's yeah. It, it, yeah. So I think just if you're if you're if you see you know traditional sports like as like a a, a valuable thing for students, like we're just lining up and stacking up more and more evidence that shows that esports and physical sports despite what the stereotype might be is actually just as mm. intense and and uh demanding on, on every yeah. level yeah um at what point do you think i mean um have you noticed any change in like the general like uh public attitude toward esports in the last previous years or is there still a stigma and like the stereotype I, I almost it's it's similar to how like a lot of my conversations about game based learning go mm. where I think especially with like parents and stuff they're mostly just like yeah that makes sense the world's changing like you mm. know there's a lot of like money and excitement and stuff around it like I don't I don't really people I don't get really a lot of eye rolling or complete dismissal I get mostly though I think the most negative and often the most frustrating is they're like oh I don't know anything about that um, so mm. I can't really do anything with it, but yeah. I don't know. Have you, have you, what's like, what do you think like the attitude is, is in Norway? Cause you're, you, you have a smaller pot to work with. Yeah. So I don't talk to, to teachers or, or parents about this that much. Um, so I think it's, uh, I think it's, 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 um, I don't think there's that much general, general negative attitude towards it. It's almost as if the scale has tipped like in the other direction, um, because I I guess something gets the sense get the sense of people like thinking esports and multiplayer games are almost synonymous synonyms. Yeah. Uh, like almost like there's almost an overlap between those two. Um, and that's also like and that's so that's also something we have to like make sure that people like get their um, labels correct so to speak. Um, multiplayer games is of course one thing. Esports, like you said, involves so much more than just playing the game. Yeah, and I talk about this a lot with students uh, as well, and it's often kind of like another layer to like understanding how games work. When I ex I try to explain to them, um, like, you know, like some games just because they're popular doesn't mean that they're going to be compatible with esports. You know, a big part mm. of esports is like yes, a traditional exactly. sport. It has to be it has to be mostly symmetrical. Like, it, it, and some games just don't yeah. work that well, even if they're competitive. 
um, you know, Fortnite, for example, like the, yeah, one of yeah. the leagues that we're working with, they're kind of shoehorning it in. And even the students who are on the Fortnite team and are very good at it, even they understand mm. like it's kind of like a kludgy way to, to make it an eSport, the way that they, that yeah, they set I mean, it up. Uh, yeah, I mean, think about how, like, think about how many random random elements there are in the game of Fortnite compared to like Counter-Strike. Yeah. And, and, and there's a reason Counter-Strike is so popular because it's the same it's it has been the same formula since uh, since the start i mean yeah and um, basically one and, map <laughs> yeah yeah i mean and it's just uh, which, and, 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 yeah and 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 so- soccer is the same is yeah. soccer only has one map <laughs> yeah it doesn't mean that people get tired of it exactly that's yeah, a good it's a good comparison it's basically just a field yeah um uh, yeah and, and, that, and that's, a, that's so that's enough you get enough you get enough complexity out of that and it's it's uh it makes the game so much more f- easy to read if you've watched it a lot when it's only like it's predictable in a way because you can like count on what the opponent is going to do but that will also make it like easy to 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 read and easy to comment on and and so on and so on something like fortnite yeah sure you can make it it is a competitive thing but like you say it's 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 not a good candidate for like forming the basis of an esports yeah so i feel like yeah, there's a lot of education needed even on the player side and like the potential player pool um, um and this like it's kind of a side note but um something that i've realized like reading no I, I was, the more i start reading up on or i continue to read up on the literature that's on games and learning mm-hmm. um sometimes People, it seems that people forget that that playing like playing games like on their in their spare time people and people playing games in their spare time for like recreational aspects or competitive aspects and so on, or so so on. It's often uh, is a different kind of. I think I mentioned this before. It's a different kind of social practice than uh, educational gaming, for instance, because mm-hmm. it's and it's the same thing with esports. They, yeah, the the artifact of the game might be the same. But the social practice around it is different, and it has different rules, different norms, different roles. Um, yeah, just this whole other layer of complexity apart from the video game. So I, I think it's difficult, important to remember that esports is not only, like I said, it's not only about the game. It's about this whole whole area of of human uh, of the human experience, basically. Yeah, because I've even one of my uh, team captains who's a very talented Overwatch player. Um, <clears throat> he he says for him it's it's a completely different experience than just playing for fun, and that mm. he and he likes it. It's more enjoyable to him, which is for him is one of the main reasons why he does it. Is because for him playing at that extremely competitive level is to him it's not even the same game as you would just like you know playing you know with some of your friends or in a solo queue or something like that. Um, and it's also why in my school this year I started, there's esports, but it's very competitive and it's by its nature fairly exclusive because you have to try it out. There's limited spots. It's very competitive. And I also have the more casual gaming club because it's, it's completely different things. Mm, yeah. Um, and another thing that's also important, I think it's to, to remember that, um, Okay, let's say you've always discussed like Counter Strike, or, or you always something discussed, end up discussing whether Counter Strike is violent or not because oh, it's about shooting people in the head. Um, and my and I claim it's this might this is the problem is that this what I'm about to say now is sounds obvious to gamers but sounds like probably naive or dangerous to 
uh, people not used to gaming. And that the headshot in Counter-Strike has more in common with shooting a bullseye than actually shooting people. Yeah, so I have two thoughts about this that I often respond with. One is it's no different than traditional sports. Like, we can't really sit there and say that a video game is more violent than, you know, rugby or, um, you know, mm. football, where you're literally trying to hit someone. You know, it's like... Yeah, and I, people I, actually I, get hurt. Yeah, and people actually get hurt. And I remember talking to a student where he was saying, oh, yeah, my mom doesn't let me play violent video games. And I was like, bro, you, you play hockey. He's like, yeah, <laughs> that's totally different. I go, contact sports like that is just an analog for combat. You do realize that, right? He's like, yeah, yeah wait, that's such a good what? point. And I was like, yeah, you're two armies battling each other, trying to conquer the field. And so, like, it's mm-hmm. it's interesting how sometimes that just gets a pass. Um, that you know, yeah, that and it's com- digital and people, digital yeah, pretend people... violence does not. Yeah, and parents wouldn't bat an eye to send their uh, kids to like karate practice. Yeah, oh, of course not. They wouldn't at all. Um, so, another area where uh, video games are kind of making uh, kind of big national and international attention is around politics. And, and one thing that that I think would be interesting to start with is the article that I saw today. I think from I think I saw it from Sam Barlow on Twitter. Um, and he talked about how the Activision Blizzard uh, CEO, who uh, was in a bit a bit of a controversy that we'll get to in a second about politics and its relation to esports and video games, uh, kind of externally to the game, he basically said that he did not feel that games uh, should be political. Um, he said something along the lines of, "We're not the operator of the world's town halls." For the operator of the communities that allow you to have fun through the lens of a video game. Um, and he said, I don't, it doesn't convey to me the right to have a platform for a lot of political views. I think my responsibility is to satisfy our audiences and our stakeholders, our employees, our share, shareholders. Talk about tone deaf. Um, yeah. And, and just as we were talking about before we went on the air, just completely ignorant of just basic <laughs> concepts about art like it just that's not yeah. how it works <laughs> no and like saying something's not a political is a political statement exactly it's a sense it's 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 saying that the status quo is fine yes uh, and it's and it's like just enforcing your view on everyone else like shutting the gate to a whole area of discourse yeah and uh, uh, which is i mean how arrogant do you have to be to say something like that I just, it's, yeah, it's just, they're just kind of continuing, continuously putting their foot in their mouth about just mm. the, the whole thing. It's just, you know, you're, you're, you can't, you can't get away from it. You make, you make yeah. art, you make, you know, things that tell stories and, and are internationally interactive, like just get over it. It's, it's going to happen. And I love, I love the Kotaku, which, uh, which the article I was reading from, and they just have without any comment. A picture of one of the kill streaks in uh, Activision's uh, latest game, Call of Duty: Modern Warfare, which is white phosphorus, which is <laughs> an extremely controversial weapon of war uh, that, that yes. some people call, you know, an engine of war crimes. And it's just in the game without any comment at all. Yeah. So it's I like, mean, okay, dude, you're not even trying. Uh, I mean, e- even though, even though, okay, let's take this for example. Even though it's it's make what should I say functionally uh, and 
what should I say, mechanically or whatever, very different from actual white white phosphorus. You you're still referencing something. Yeah. You, you don't call it a super mega flame bomb or you know yeah. whatever. Uh, you call it something that you're putting in a reference to something in the external world that, like you say, is very controversial. Yeah, and and by not commenting on it, you're making a comment. You're just saying. This is a run-of-the-mill weapon of war. Yes. You know, it, it's, so it's like, oh, oh, okay. It, it, for for, for the, the makers of Call of Duty to say that is yeah. tone deaf to the point of being laughable. Yeah. But but just to ask, ask uh, um, this is not the well-thought-out question, but... Um, why uh, how do we how do we because how do we then go defending that um playing war in call of duty is fine but this is the this is the line that we cross i agree with that this this is a line that that we won't don't we shouldn't cross but um what do you think it's what should we say it's okay to, to play war in battlefield and call of duty you mean just like in the, the, yeah, why, why the, is violence okay to be entertained? Why why is pretend shooting, uh, pretending to be a soldier and pretending shooting at other soldiers, an okay form of entertainment from in the first place? I, I guess because it's it's pretend, you know. Yeah. You, you know, it's fantasy. Um, I mean, just from my my personal experience, you know, I've I've loved you know, you know, you know, shoot 'em up games and violent games of all types for as long as I've been playing video games. In real life, I like mm. abhor actual violence. Yeah, you know, for it's, me, it's not. It's not a. Diff, it's not a difficult. It's not. A di- I don't. I. It's just. I. We get. We, we. Like we talked about with Kelly, we get in a moral pa- panic area. Yep. And it, it, it's. It's just. It's pretend. Pretend yeah, violence it's, it's is play. a lot. Of, pretend violence is a lot of fun. It's, yeah. It's, it's for a variety of psychological and social reasons. Real violence is not, and that's a pretty easy thing to separate. So that's the line we crossed. Then we crossed the line of pretend and make believe and play when we introduce these kinds of things, because then the real world like comes in. Ah, is that mean, the thing? Is, uh, is you that mean the like issue? when you you take away the winnings of a Hearthstone player because he says free Hong Kong? Uh, for example. For example, yeah. <laughs> so that is a great segue to the other part that I had mentioned before, which is one of the other reasons that it's kind of a ridiculous statement is because Blizzard had just started to extricate themselves from an international uh, controversy about politics and esports because they had a, a Hearthstone winner, um, one of the, their uh, more popular esports games, in his post-game interview talk about the ongoing and, and still ongoing protests uh, in Hong Kong, and he spoke out in favor. I believe he just said something along the lines of liberate Hong Kong or free Hong Kong. Um, and the reaction from Blizzard, which has a significant amount of business in China, was, uh, I think, shockingly fast as well as shockingly severe. They yeah. they banned him for a year. They took away all of his winnings from that uh, tournament, which was a major tournament, um, and just basically said that was inappropriate. It wasn't about Hearthstone, yeah. like the end. And I mean... For those of you who haven't seen this this um, shocking display of I don't know whatever, it's a very like mild. It's not <laughs> like he like he didn't go on a stands up. And, <laughs> no, it's not like he stands up and shouts like. Yeah, it's it's very like. It's just I ha- I have the microphone and, and it's on my mind. It's happening right now. I want to say it. Yeah. Um, uh, it's 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 yeah. 
and and I think just just for those who who might not have like the frame about esports, this would be as if LeBron James was in a post game interview and said, you know what, I just want to talk about you know what's going on in Hong Kong right now, and I think it's really messed up, and I think you know I support them, which is mm. similar what happened because around the same exact time, uh, one of the owners of the Houston Rockets said a tweet to that degree. The NBA freaked out, deleted the tweet, tried to walk it back. China got upset. And then to the NBA's credit, they came down and said, actually, you know what? That was a mistake. We are, uh, you know, we're not going to censor any of the speech of our players uh, or owners. Blizzard, after getting hammered for weeks by just about everybody except China, eventually did go at, at their BlizzCon convention, which is like their big announcing new products. And it's, it's a whole big thing started immediately with with an apology um and they said something along the lines of quote blizzard had a chance to bring the world together in a tough hearthstone esports moment about a month ago and we did not we moved too quickly in our decision making so good that's fine you know just admit your mistake but then he goes on to say the specific views expressed by Blitzchung, which is the the player name uh of the the hearthstone player were not a factor in the decision we made. I want to be clear. Our relationship in China had no influence on our decision. And there you go. <laughs> like, and nobody believes that. I was with you up until then. Um, yeah. To, to say like, yeah, if he's you really saying like, hey, you know, uh, streamer, I really like the shirt you're wearing. You would really toss the guy because it's not about Hearthstone, mm. which is the, 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 the arena they're trying to pin it on that. Oh, it's because mm. it's not about Hearthstone. It's like okay, this is ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, th- there is—I uh, don't—I don't remember this exact wording, but that there is like so- some um, clause or, or some agreement that like this should be like free of political something something. Um, uh, yeah, terms of use or whatever in those like streaming events and so on. So sure, you could you could maybe p- blame you know, like. A, attack them for that or, or like uh, giving them some reper- repercussions for like breaching those terms but th- i mean the the severity of the punishment was like totally even for that was totally out of whack yeah it does it's yeah anyway so it, it is a good example of, of of where that line is is that just like sports or anything else esports is is becoming a big enough cultural force that it's it, it's gravity is starting to bring in all kinds of things outside of the game, just like, you know, and we, we can think of a million sports examples that have huge political impacts, like, you know, the black power fist at the, at the ooh, 1970 something Olympics history fans are going to get mad at me, um, you know, or like the 19, 1980 miracle on ice, you know, so it's, it's, it, we're the, the convergence point is, is uh, we're, we're well past it. And this, yeah. this feels though, like it was the first big moment. Like this feels like mm. the first like grown up esports is a thing that yeah, yeah, can, you're right. can and, have international impact. Yeah, you're right. And, and, and think about when you think about it, it, it's, you have this, this uh, person who probably would never have had such a chance to uh, get his, their message out to so many people at once. Um, if it were for any other situation, actually having that opportunity, uh, presenting a statement, and then uh, the the owners of that platform almost reacting uh, in a, like a tyrannical way, like to really, really like 
deny people for actually trying to get their message across. Yes, it's not. Yes, you can say it's that ours, this kind of platform is not meant for these kinds. Of, it's not meant for these kinds of statements. Statements that's that's not what it's for. Um, but I mean, think about what what they actually do when they deny or try to like silence these kinds of viewpoints. Think about how, in, in a way, think of how tyrannical it really is. Yeah, it's 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 pretty simple. You're either choosing basic human, you know, rights about free speech and expression. Or you're choosing profits, and you yeah, know, and and that's and that that's what's unacceptable. Like if if Blizzard and, and Activision just want to say, you know what, we're prioritizing profits over over politics, great, do that. I think you would pay a serious price, and and they they did for quite some time. But this like what, trying to walk the, the line and have both is not going to work out for them at a certain point. And this is far beyond esports. Like this is just an you know, a geopolitical thing, but it's interesting how esports has kind of become the uh, like a like a crystallized you know version of that conflict. Yeah, you you you, you for sure you can't you can't ignore it now. No, at, no. by this point, but we at the same time we have to like uh, not to play the devil's advocate or anything, but we have to like be mindful of of this. This did put Blizzard in a particular kind of situation. Mm-hmm. What what do you th- what what should they have done? Do you think? I because think... he he did like violate some uh, some terms. True, but like I said, it's like it, it's like you can only use it to talk about like Hearthstone related things, and like I said, like okay, that could get pretty silly. Like if you talk about like the shirt the other guy's wearing, you know, is that so? It's like yeah, you know, could could they have cut the interview short? Fine. Like could they have said? Hey, we would prefer you not to do that. Fine, but like for them to just, you know, kick him out of the league for a year, you take <laughs> away take away his winnings. Like, it yeah, was, I mean, you're right. Like that was tyrannical. That was like, what are you, like, what are you doing? It's one thing. Yeah, just that, to be that's what you upset. do when something. Yeah, that's what you do when someone had like taken drugs or like steroids or or some other kind of performance enhancing stuff. Yeah, or like the guy who in, in the the Eagles game the other day who took his helmet off and tried to beat the other guy in the head with it. <laughs> yeah, but I like, mean, like it's, it's like s- it's not comparable. serious. Mis- <laughs> it's what you do when someone like it's uh, obvious serious misconduct in yeah. some way. Yeah, I I think they just they they have yeah uh, when something would have done that something that's indisputably wrong. Don't do this. Exactly, and it's and it, it was just clear that they're thinking of their their profit shares in China, which are significant, and they're trying to they're trying to have their cake and eat it too. And I think it's I think they're gonna have a they're gonna have a hard time until they figure out which path they want to go down. Um, and I think you know, if, as consumers, we have to kind of think about where where we want to vote with our wallet on that one, um, which is uh, interesting. Um, anyway, so speaking of 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 esports and stuff our guest coming up dr chris haskell he is is one of the first people that i thought of when, when we were getting this podcast going about uh really pushing esports in um both an educational direction but also an inclusive direction and we talk a lot about using esports as a center of a community and i think that was one of the um the things that i really uh, found interesting about his program um, at Boise State was um, kind of the inclusivity of it and using esports, which can have a reputation of being very exclusive, particularly on um, gender and racial lines. 
Um, and, and he seems to have found ways to kind of get over that, which I think is very, uh, very encouraging. Yeah. So, uh, you'll be hearing from, uh, Dr. Chris Haskell, uh, coming up in a second. All right, everyone, welcome. Uh, today's guest uh, is a really special one, one who I've known for a couple of years and I'm really glad to have on to talk about eSports. Dr. Chris Haskell, who's a clinical assistant professor of education technology at Boise State University in, wait for it, Boise, Idaho. He is also the co-director of the eSports program at Boise State. This program is part of the National Association of Collegiate Esports as a fully sanctioned varsity program at BSU. The Broncos were recently ranked as a top 10 esports program by the website Value Gamers, and they boast five different teams that have racked up hundreds of wins in their two year existence. They also have completed construction on an esports arena in downtown Boise that is one of the biggest in the country. What this means is Doc Haskell is one of the first names that popped in my head when we wanted to talk about esports and schools. And Doc, don't mess it up. Okay, I won't. My gosh, thanks for having me on, guys. This is this is going to be pretty dang cool. Yeah, to get things going. Um, how did you get into games and education? Um, what led you to the point where you were head of an esports program <laughs> at a Division One university? Right. The, the, uh, the, the Twitter length version of it is uh, I had discovered uh, that there was this massive asteroid uh, heading toward colleges and, and uh, well, high school and middle schools uh, all over the place. Um, and that asteroid was esports. It was about to hit us. I told the uh, president about it, like every scientist and every disaster movie. And I found myself on a rocket with Bruce Willis. Uh, it really is one of those situations where I did not intend uh, to direct a program, but I was doing research like we often do for uh, the next opportunity to contribute like uh, at a conference. I was like, oh, well, maybe I'll do one on gaming clubs. Maybe I'll do one. You know, I was looking to branch and offer something something different than I'd normally spoken on, which was game-based learning and, and R4As into, into those spaces. Um, but I just started doing some research, started filling notebooks, and I just interviewed people and just wanted to know more and more and more. And it became evident to me that uh, collegiate and scholastic esports was about to explode and that there was a rare and singular opportunity to get in early so that our institution um, could leverage that earliness and, and knowledge to create programs, to create experiences for students, possibly to retain students, attract new students to our programs. And, uh, and so I brought that idea forward and, you know, quick little musical montage, right? As, as we're getting this thing up and running two years later, here we are uh, with a fully fledged program. And this is all I do now. I am just a head coach and uh, director of esports. Really? So like you, you actually got less classroom responsibilities once you got into this? <laughs> Would you say less classroom responsibilities? What? Uh, I have 65 varsity student athletes who uh, each of those teams practices uh, 20 hours a week. And you just you were like, wait, hold on, 20 hours? Yes, that that adds up. Um, and, and an additional 300 students that are club students that I am loosely uh, responsible for helping maintain. So I went from 
what I like to describe as an easy 24-7 schedule, 24 hours a week, seven months a year, um, to one that is just all-consuming. Um, but yes, they have made uh, accommodations in my workload to accommodate this kind of teaching, in air quotes, um, versus uh, other class offerings. Oh, wow. So that's a, a, a complete formal transition. That's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm still I'm still an associate professor. Um, I still have a, a regular workload, but my workload is specifically esports currently. Oh, awesome! Yeah, uh, yeah I've definitely filed that as a, a good problem to have um, if you're yes. if you're busy leading, you know, a, um, a burgeoning esports program. It's really, really hard work. It's <laughs> just not real work. Well, yeah, you know, well, some of us might yeah. quibble with that, but uh, yeah, it's it's certainly it sounds like a ton of fun. It sounds like you're having a lot of, a lot of success as well. Oh, absolutely, we love it. I I am enjoying it. It's hard, but I enjoy it. Awesome. So, let's let's even stop for a moment. Uh, to be honest, I think you had a question uh, about uh, the popularity of esports. So, esports is a fairly typical example for a generational divide. Uh, according to a 2018 Washington Post poll. 18% of adults watched competitive video gaming online, but 58% of 14 to 21 year olds did. So uh, this is a pretty new thing that is growing in popularity among our students that listeners may be only vaguely aware of. So uh, if you can to ex explain to us, Doc, what is esports? Esports is competitive video games. Uh, the games shift, uh, you know, over time, but the the process of watching two individuals or two teams um, see who's best, see who brings out the best strategy and the best execution, that is esports, and and we watch it. The difference is that it doesn't exist in the places we normally expect competition as adults, as those of us who are uh, in our later 20s, 30s, 40s, uh, it doesn't exist in the same places we expect. It, it's only somewhat uh, visible on the ESPN channels. It's here and there, but it is 24 hours a day on tools like Twitch and Mixer and YouTube Gaming and those. And that is where the uh, rising generation is engaging with their media. Um, it is the biggest sport that most people have never heard of. Um, and it's it was more more people watched League of Legends World Championships this year than watched the Super Bowl, and that eclipse uh, is is frightening traditional media outlets. Mm. That's it's kind of impressive that, like you said, that it, it's bigger than the Super Bowl. But even it, but despite this, it's kind of invisible. And in some circles or in mainstream media in a way? Yeah. What, what you can't do is is start flipping through the channels on your cable box uh, or on just, you know, regular broadcast television uh, for people who still have that. Uh, you can't easily find it. It's it's not out there. You, you have to be able to go to the source of it and connect with the people who are producing it. But millions of youth are doing that. And and now this you cultures moving into into the 20s and into the 30s mm. would you would you say there is a kind of unique in a way at least somewhat a grassroots aspect to this it's, it's because of services like twitch 
Yes, in fact, so let me let me break it down to the um, the piece. Now, as educators, we we understand a certain kind of transactional distance. We you know we describe it, it and that is you know the zone of proximal development and those those pieces. There's another definition of transactional distance, and it talks about social exchanges. That transactional distance between individual and star, for example. Um, if we want to go and watch a, a soccer game or a football game, our transactional distance, unless we have some special access is a hundred yards or more. Um, with more money, we can shrink that transactional distance. We can get up right on the uh, on the rail and even be able to shout onto the bench and interact with those folks. That is what we're normally, you know, used to. But in Twitch and Mixer and other forms which allow interaction, direct interaction with player and fan with chat, that transactional distance shrinks. So while it feels more grassroots because we are within, you know, arm's reach of the star, the the digital athlete, if you will, um, those tools get us closer. They let us really connect with um, with Tyler, Ninja. They let us uh, connect with Shroud. They let us, you know, give comments that they could actually reply to in a way that is that is wholly unique. And so the the personal connection that young people feel uh, to their stars uh, is is more profound than it, it has been in previous generations. So while it does feel more more grassroots, they actually um, develop these massive fan groups because of their willingness uh, to interact. These are the stars we know versus the stars that are just uh, a product of marketing. And we're all a product of marketing, but um, uh, I digress. Yeah, and and for sure, I mean, one thing that does not change with esports is certainly money. Um, I think uh, yes. uh, <laughs> the the wake up call um, uh, for the the director of admissions at my school, you know, he was like, "Oh, you know, we've got esports. I'll I'll go advertise on Twitch," and his jaw like literally dropped. When, oh, yeah. when he got, like, you know, the ad buy statistics back, you know, he was like, oh, OK, you know, it was in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, for yes. us, for, you know, even just like tiny little uh, cuts. So, yeah, it's um, it's growing and there, there's certainly money to be made. But um, so back into the, the school environment, that's actually fantastic. I never really thought about like kind of the intimacy, uh, even just in the sense of the spatial awareness where you literally feel like you're standing next to them as opposed to when you're at a, a football game, you know, it's, you know, they're a blurry number on the field. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you're, you're focusing on one athlete in most of those cases, the most popular streams on Twitch are, are not the, the broader broadcast, but rather individuals. Um, and you're watching them on your phone or your, um, uh, on your computer and you're communicating directly to them. I mean, that's unique. Um, that just doesn't happen. Yeah, and I also I I, I listen to um, a, a few other like like history focused podcasts, and I, I think we do have this um, sort of bias about in, in you know the early the mid twentieth century American sports and how they're kind of uh, uh, kind of organized. But if you go back to eighteen hundreds, seventeen hundreds. A lot of the dynamics, you know, about these kind of like weird oddball things to us, like cycling and, and you know, pre competitive walking that were national crazes. Oh, um, absolutely. They, they, to us, they, they feel bizarre, but like, and they were like that. You would, you would walk into 
like a warehouse and you would be right in front of these people yelling at them and encouraging them. So the dynamic, it's one of those things where the more things change, the the more they stay the same. It's it's true. And and again, that distance to the athletes was the interesting thing. A steeplechase is a really common European type of event. And it didn't matter what they were on, whether it was cyclocross with a bicycle or just running cross country. A steeplechase essentially is uh, all of these athletes line up in one area and you point you know, into the horizon and see the steeple on the church. And that's the finish line. And the, the, the fans, the locals, they would line the roads to cheer these folks on um, as they're hopping over fences, which of course is where that hurdle comes from in the, in the concept of the steeplechase. Um, but, but we long for that closeness uh, to our, to our athletes. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, but uh, all right. Doc, brass tacks. Why should teachers, students, parents, admin, why should they think about supporting or starting an esports program in, in their school community? Well, I mean, there's a ton of research over the last 40 years that supports extracurricular activities in general, uh, binding students to a campus culture, giving them something other than themselves to be responsible for. And and giving them a voice on their campus. Lots of activity organizations have um, said for years that uh, that the reason we focus on these activities is to give students an opportunity to belong to a community. Um, when we don't give them opportunities to belong to a community, they'll belong to some other community, but that desire is always there. Esports is the result of helicopter parents like me um, keeping our kids inside so that they didn't poke each other with a sharp stick, which is what we were told to do uh, when we were kids. Go out, poke each other with a sharp stick. We've been trying to prevent it. And and because of it, um, we've curated their experiences, most of them, um, to the point that they're foreign. A lot of kids don't play sports more than one or two years um, just because they they don't enjoy it um, in the same way but they continue to play games with one another Um, and boys girls um, it doesn't matter so by giving a voice and a place uh, for students to continue to do the thing that they love find other people to do the thing that they love connected to their school experience makes the the school experience stronger stickier we've seen a mass exodus um, in the last uh, seven to ten years from traditional schools to other smaller uh, school communities again to feel that belonging the mega schools lots of research showing the dangers of mega schools you know the the 1500 to 3,000 student population for a high school, for example, problematic. Um, But that boils down to not the size of the physical structure, but the lack of communities um, that they can participate in. And so, so why? Because it's another way to build community. I think, I think that's a really, really good point. Um, Because at least in, I don't, it's probably the same in the States, but in Norway, there's a lot, always a lot of talk about uh, high school dropouts and what you can do to stop people from dropping actually dropping out of high school and video games often comes up come up in some regards with this with this uh, in, in this uh, context um and i'm not sure i think i think one of the best ways that video games if they can like actually help people not dropping out of high school it is not necessarily through using them in an educational context as, as such but rather what you like what you said like actually give the providing a, a way of socializing with other people 
especially for those who don't yeah. necessarily enjoy running around on the soccer field or whatever, but actually having a, a place and activity for socializing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know, I mean, look, I was just at a, a three week uh, kind of um, summer camp with a lot of, you know, middle school and, and early high school boys. And it's, yeah, the first thing they do when they start to socialize and connect with each other is they exchange, you know, Fortnite handles, you know, it's what, what's your epic games. And then that night they're, they're, they're playing with each other. So it, the transfer into the school community, um, as Doc was talking about, to me, makes perfect sense as far as building community. I can't think of a, a better answer than that. Um, but Doc, let me ask you something that, that I notice particularly about the Boise State program. And, um, and, and I'm going to quote from uh, something, a book you put out uh, with uh, the co-director of the eSports program. Um, yes, Dr. Shelton. Shelton, yes, that was his name. Yes. Uh, so one thing that, that struck me when I started following the BSU eSports program uh, was the uh, diverse representation, especially around gender. Um, and maybe it's because I'm both a gamer and the father of two girls, but, but that definitely stood out to me uh, in, the, in the images and the material that, that I was reading on Twitter and elsewhere. Uh, because video games, particularly competitive gaming, is often regarded as a boys club at best or actively hostile to women at worst. So uh, let me quote from, from your book, uh, uh, College Esports. Uh, what you need to know, which will be linked in the show notes for, for those who are, who are interested. Uh, the thing that I think is interesting is that it's not the process of selecting where the real inclusion has to begin. It's in the process of involving them in participation in tryouts before a final team is selected, end quote. So why and how did you go about building an inclusive competitive program at BSU? Oh, why and how? Um, the the how is a, is a little bit easier and a little bit more didactic. The the why is of course the the personal one, the emotional one, the one where I have clear bias, and my bias is that uh, is that groups uh, that have diverse representation of viewpoint, background, and um, and lens um, are much healthier groups. Um, that's that's my belief and my bias. And that also includes uh, the separation and removal of tokenism, right? Having one female player on your team um, is is ripe for tokenism. And if you read any of the Rosebeth uh, Moss Cantor uh, research and work that she's published, fantastic. Harvard University, she she has addressed tokenism um, and made it a, a, a key point of her career. But what, what she discovers is that when you have a token individual, that, that individual will want to be part of the community and they will often uh, dismiss what makes them unique uh, and even side on the side of of the majority to belong. But if you have more than one person who has that background, that uh, that character, they are less inclined to do that, more inclined to uh, to talk from their own position. Now, I am a middle aged white guy, and so I have very little authority. Uh, about different viewpoints. Most of the students, although being much younger, um, that historically show an interest in esports or have historically been represented in esports match my kind of background. So the why is that it's way healthier 
um, it's a better experience and they're going to learn much more uh, beyond the game than than they would if we don't take that step. Now, the how, I think, is relatively simple, although people overlook it all the time. It begins with making sure that you have more chairs than you think you need. And by that, I mean, if you're going to pick a team of six to play Overwatch, it's not really six that you need. Some people are like, oh, well, yeah, you might need a sub or two, so maybe seven or eight. No. An, an Overwatch team that is going to make space for people um, to learn is maybe 18 or 20 or 22 seats um, because we need to be able to offer somebody who who lacks the experience but but has the potential and provides something to the team that somebody else doesn't. We have to be able to make a chair for them uh, and make sure that there's a spot. So our... I mean, our whole idea moving in is, look, we need to make sure that if there are young women who are interested in, in participating, that we've got seats for them and that we believe that we can uh, we can help all players uh, gain the knowledge and ability to be competitive with one another as part of a team. And we're going to invest now in more effort, more time to make sure that everyone uh, who would like a seat at that, that represents different viewpoints can't and uh, it, it begins it begins by saying we're going to have a co-ed team what do we need to do to make that a co-ed team um, because if you just say well you know we're just going to try everybody out and to make it air quotes fair we're going to use their skill rating in game to determine you know who's there um, if you do that you're going to find people that do not have the same use patterns within these games and therefore do not have the same uh you know machine manufactured uh, matchmaking rating, the MMR or uh, SR for skill rating, you're going to find that there are people who don't have that high level SR because they're just not putting in as much time. This is a long and complicated answer, but you say, look, you have to, you have to change what you're trying to find. Uh, you have to ask other questions also. Skill is important. Um, but their ability to learn and communicate, their ability to provide a different viewpoint, uh, their ability to to add to the character of a team, those are just as important uh, as as their skill rating on a on a hero or a champion. So for us, it's just making the decision early uh, and not being satisfied if and this is really the key. If the team doesn't look like us, as in our campus community, then we need to remix it and and figure it out. Um, because that's that's not enough. Not enough to say, well, you know, no girls tried out. Well, is it that no girls tried out or that you put some limits in or you advertised only to spaces that were 90% male? Um, how, how are you finding these people? Because because the, the publishers tell us men and women are playing all of these games. And men and women in these demographics, the high school, the middle school, the, the college, men and women are playing them. Where, where are they? We, we got to find them. Yeah, it's no, it's 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 not an easy um, you know conversation or or challenge. But I think well, and um, let me let me share one other thing that I think is really powerful. So midway through last year, we were broadcasting on our Twitch channel as we do all of our all of our games, and we have a we have a stage um, that we broadcast in our, in our facility here um, to an audience. It's a you know really cool hall for uh, for esports, and um, somebody in the chat mentioned something that kind of struck us there were it was at that moment in overwatch we we had three men and three women on stage and 
and the the call was made by me because we were looking for a very specific composition on a very specific map so we put the people in that gave us that but to the audience it was completely a, a many of them said i've never seen this before i've seen one girl you know occasionally here or there but i've never seen a, a truly co-ed team and it kind of blew up and people threw it out on twitter and it was it was kind of a big deal for a moment to us it wasn't because we're used to having these people and it was a strategic decision. These, these, this was the composition that we thought we could have the most success with. Um, but, but that moment for a lot of people changes their view of what this is. Now, this last week, we traveled with our Overwatch uh, squad to Harrisburg to play the national champion uh, Harrisburg Storm in Overwatch. Now, they're, they're a really, really good team. And, uh, and while we did put in a lot of preparation, uh, we 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 knew that that uh, they would be really tough to beat, but as you look up on the stage and you see Harrisburg, which is a great a great school, great group of students, uh, all men, um, mostly white, and then you look over on the other side of the state, the Boise State side, and you see you know you, you see tall, short, you see male, female, you see white, black. Um, it but those are our people. Um, not parading out there to say, ooh, so we're, we're diverse. No, but we made the decision long ago to bring those people together and make them a team. And for the directors who were at the National NACE Convention watching that, it was a very startling and eye-opening moment to go, okay, so this really is a co-ed thing. Most of them you know, really struggle and search for where are all the women, right? Where are the uh, the people of of color? Where are where are the different viewpoints? Um, uh, and to see it on stage uh, was for many of them, as they confided in me, a powerful moment. Yeah, it, it's it's. I mean, just the visual optics of it can be a big difference. You know, when you, when you actually see the representation. You know, the scholarship shows, you know, that can have a, yeah. a huge snowball effect. Would you recommend any specific um, actions or decisions uh, to, to make right away to, to kind of from step one, um, pull in a more uh, diverse yeah. Uh, yeah. members of your community? Because it seems like you did that. It, you know what? You, you have to you have to make their first several interactions with your team low stakes, right? You just have to have game, open door game days. You have to meet folks. You have to just ask them questions. Hey, who the heck are you? Yeah, so not, so not just day one yeah. tryouts. Oh, here's tryouts. <laughs> yeah. Let's go, right? No, I yeah. mean, that's a high stakes thing. Yeah. And, and some people don't have enough confidence or they they make assumptions based on what the words tryouts mean. We even called them auditions the first year, right? Just to try to break that mold. Um, and, you know, and sometimes it's it's coming up to a, a, a person who, who offers something new to your team and, and to say, just so you know, I want to find you a spot. I don't know what that spot's going to be, but but if if you're committed and you love this, um, I, I think you've got the ability to get really good at this. Are, are you interested? Okay, well, good. Then then come to the event. Don't worry about where you're placed. Don't even worry about how you perform. You know, you're a smart person, and this is a set of skills that are all transferable. So um, there there is no special gene at the for us at the college level that makes you either a great um, player or a terrible player. It, it it's mostly patterns of use, communication, coordination, and and if you're smart and you're communicative, um, you'll uh, you'll you'll fit. We we can we can bring you along. So, 
Um, it, low stakes, it's a great question. Ma you know, make, make lots of opportunities with low stakes interaction where they can just come and enjoy the thing they love. And, and then you can make the pitch for, hey, we'd, we'd like to do this um, competitively with you. Yeah, I mean, that's something that I struggled with, you know, in my own esports program. Um, and, I, and I think some of the, at least at the high school level, some of the leagues are doing a better job than others. You know, um, I won't name names, but one league that we're working with, I think, uh, has a much better model where we can field as many teams as uh, yes. spots that we can uh, pay for. And, and so I can say, all right, if I have eight, um, you know, students who all want to play, um, you know, Rocket League, then great, I've got an A team and a B team, and they can both compete. Whereas some leagues where it's like, okay, I want to do an Overwatch team, well, it's six people and maybe a sub or two. Um, yeah. And just that logistical uh, restriction, I found, um, can make a big difference um, in how you overcome that and being able to welcome people. Yeah, and and even in even mixing those uh, those the the nomenclature up, you've got your blue team and your gold team, um, you know, so that there isn't necessarily a hierarchy, and it's and you can move people back and forth trying to find the best mix of those of those folks, trying to find the best you know uh, seat for each person so they can be as successful as they can. Oh yeah, I'm I'm stealing that. I'm definitely using the colors. Um, yeah, sure. I mean, well, they may they may decide that there's a hierarchy, um, but as long as you're willing to mix that those titles around and move people around, um, they they don't become as stratified as you know varsity and JV. Although some people choose to do that based on age, mm -hmm. right? Um, and and that that doesn't tend to offend people because that's something we've used for a long time. Uh, but certainly the 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 colors of uh, changing up, you're just using your school colors. Um, uh, or even letting them pick uh, goofy names, you know, um, that that are somewhat related to your school. Um, that actually tends to to wash out any um, any feel of hierarchy um, because then they have their own kind of micro nationalism for their own, you know, um, you know, noobs noobs are us. Maybe the team name that they choose for themselves, and you can retire each of those names each season, and then they're always part of a legacy. So, you know, a picture on the wall with the Noobs R Us squad, um, you know, has has like just uh, cultural cultural heritage um, that uh, that's valuable moving forward. Yeah, no, I like that. Um, Tobias, I think you had, you, had a, you had a question about uh, for teachers who are, who are yeah. um, kind of trying to get going. Yeah, there's um, there's another thing that you, we highly suspect that you have some good advice for us, uh, Doc, because. I remember a while ago there was uh, this opinion piece in a Norwegian uh, computer magazine with the headline someone like uh, esports what a disgusting idea or something and you can probably imagine what this piece said it was about how um, it uh, creates a lazy bunch of kids who only sit and are not social <laughs> and play games all day and it's not as healthy as traditional sports and yada you know so Imagine if you're a teacher at right. a secondary or college level who is who wants to get started on an esports program in their community, but uh, you you think you might be dismissed or, or esports might be dismissed as a waste of time or inappropriate for, for a high school environment because of you know addiction and violence and other 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 you know 
uh, elements. Yes. So, what's your best advice? What what would you what would you do if you're a teacher uh, like this? What what you think is the best approach when you face this kind of uh, criticism? Well, I mean, arm yourself with the research that actually supports what you do. Anecdotes are one thing, but but research uh, is another. We've known for you know 16 years now that there is no correlation between gun violence and video mm. games. Right. Um, in the list of correlations, McDonald's is still more correlated with gun <laughs> violence and and uh, and perpetrators of gun violence uh, than video games. It's like 17th. Um, right. So uh, and, and these are, again, very, very loose correlation. It's not causation. We know this. We know this because fMRI machines uh, and mirrors set up uh, as people watch video games. It triggers the same brain regions as watching tennis, as watching paintball, as watching basketball. When you when you watch, you know, gaming, it's competitive. It's the same uh, you know, it's the same cycle. It's the, it's the same brain chemistry cycle, you know, endorphin loops uh, as pick up basketball or some other um, short form competitive activity. Violence lights up a completely different part of the brain. We can say definitively that video games do not cause violent outbursts. Right. It's it's other it's other things. Um, we know this. We've known this for more than a decade, um, yet it's that is not tweet length and that does not trigger um you know kind of common core well it must be true because it's so simple no the only thing that makes something true is if it rhymes mm. if it rhymes <laughs> right. then it has to be true yeah um exactly but the uh so i i don't try to defend that too much but what i do is i do try to make sure that we are positioned in a way that does not immediately trigger that criticism because i often say if i get one conversation with someone about esports it can't be about gun violence so we play all t-rated games right we play all team games now there is combat in some of these games but uh, as t-rated combat with no with no you know blood splatter um it, and every character comes back right um that's not the same thing Right. We also don't play direct sports games yet um, because of the straight criticism. If I get one conversation about video games, it can't be about, well, don't you already play basketball at your university? Why video? You know, uh, we're trying to introduce them to this competitive structure where students have to work together to solve problems in real time against somebody else who's trying to do the same thing um, to solve problems in real time. That communication, that preparation, that um, uh, following, uh, accepting and then uh, following a role, a prescribed role within the team, that's the powerful thing. Um, we also don't have students who are, and this is really interesting, this is anecdotal, but we don't have students that um, whose BMI is completely out of whack. Um, they probably our students tend to look healthier than most other students um, and probably not that different from our uh, many of our athletes although you know college that really highly trained athletes are are really and I think that's that, that's an aspect that's 
it's not maybe might, maybe might be not that often mentioned because I know that many like high level uh, esports teams and and probably the teams at your college also you have to it, it, it stress the importance of uh, exercise to be able to f- you know function quickly like yes. react quickly yeah. and so on yeah so you have to be yeah it's it's a good idea to be at least someone fit when you do this yeah so there there are three parts of this that are really important well four really I mean. Um, that we so when we bring folks in for esports, and a lot of people don't think this. Like, well, aren't you concerned that they're going to be um, overweight, lazy, not get any exercise, and do those things? And I say no, because they're in they're in my program. I have influence. If they're doing this outside of my program and it's not an organized way, I I can't really compel folks to do stuff. But you know what? If I catch you online again after twelve thirty uh, a.m., um, you're not going to start on Friday. You need to get sleep. I can compel them because I have influence over their competitive play. Um, I, I'm with them almost every day, so I can recognize when there are for, uh, poor food choices being made. Um, I can identify when they're not well, when they um, are, are, are fighting illness, when they um, just look exhausted and can say, you know what? I, I'm going to send you home because this thing you got going on right now with the, you know, um, you don't look good. You look like you need sleep. So, you know, you know, let's uh, you go home, sleep it off and and we'll come back. Um, I, I have influence if they're part of my varsity program. So I would say that my students are healthier. Now, we don't have any uh, specifically organized um, workout activities or anything. And I know some programs um focus their time and attention on that. They've got resources on their campus that they want to want to use in that way. And that's fine. We do it a different way. We simply monitor. So what are you doing? Why are you lifting? I understand you were lifting weights last semester. Are you still doing that? Okay, cool. How often are you going? Do you have a partner? Who are you going with? Right? I mean, just ask them. And, and so when someone says, well, yeah, your kids don't, uh, you know, kid, gamer kids don't work out. I'm like, actually, um, you know, Madison over there is uh, training for a half marathon. It's in April. So excited for her about that. Um, those two lift weights uh, twice a week to get, you know, if you, if you ask them questions and there's a couple that we're trying to find the right activity for, right? Um, we want them, we want them to engage in something that is not compulsory. We want them to engage in something that they love so that it actually becomes a lifelong habit. And the only way you do that is if you engage them, you have to engage them in conversation. You have to ask them questions. You have to, you know, prod them, poke them and uh, encourage them. Um, but you can do that if you have access to them, if you get to be around them. You can't legislate it. You have to make decisions to build real relationships with real humans and impart, impart what you know. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a great dynamic. And I think that keyword there is is engagement. And that's true, I think, even outside, you know, a competitive esports context. You know, if, if you know. Oh, with all our students, yeah. Yeah. Because the, the conversations I've had that tend to kind of move into the reactionary, it's usually not done from knowledge about video games. It's usually done in, in ignorance uh, of video game. And the conversations that uh, I've had that have been very positive with parents, it's because they've actually watched their you know, their son or daughter play video games. They've actually yes. talked to them about it. And then usually all the, the, the kind of um, fear and, and hostility usually evaporates almost immediately. Um, yeah. so, when, so that's, when that's the key. See, it's true. When people see one of our practices, um, or come to one of our competitions, uh, they're, 
opinion changes immediately. They realize uh, how organized and strategic it is. They realize uh, how important each role is, that it's not just this, um, you know, kind of uh, uncontrolled, unmitigated, just nonstop gaming fest. No, it's really specific. And we have to be diligent with our time because we follow the 20 hour a, uh, a week rule that our other sports on campus do, although we're not connected to the athletic department, we we mirror what they do because that is recognized as a much healthier approach to uh, extracurricular activities when you're connected to school. And we also try to follow the, the 24 uh, weeks a year of contact rule for coaches, right? Um, so that they don't burn out on this. It's a it's a season um, that we uh, that we coordinate and and uh, and then we, we we try to keep them students first. I think that like uh, one of the best ways that to, to like uh, make these kinds of of uh, ideas evaporate is that to remind people who are skeptical of either games in general or esports esports more specifically is to show them that like the the games and esports as a form of social practice is very similar to many of the other forms of social practice that people already know it is it's just the one they don't know as well right they don't know it as well and the same was the case of skateboarding in the 80s and 90s you know they thought it was a throwaway activity um, they did not realize the social benefits of it the you know the personal study and development um, you know only a handful of people i think recognized what tony hawk could become um, but even when he was 13, no one thought when they encouraged him to go ask the local skate shop to, air quotes, sponsor him, to give him gear and he would wear their T-shirts because he was so good. They did not realize that he would uh, eventually uh, eclipse P.T. Barnum for the largest, most profitable uh, touring um, you know, performance ever, that he would become a, a, a radio host, an event producer, uh, you know, multi-million dollar business owner. They didn't see that for Tony Hawk uh, then. Um, but skateboarding was a, was the vehicle, and for many of these students, gaming is the vehicle to to the version of their professional self that hasn't even been invented yet. Mm. Yeah, Tony Hawk Pro Skating. I mean, that yeah. was I don't think yep. that, I don't think that left my N sixty four for about <laughs> you know nine months straight. You know, no. as far as gaming went, yeah. Mm. Um, so we're, we're, we're uh, wrapping up on our time here. So um, I'll finish up by asking, you know, what is one thing you wish you knew before diving into esports, um, as well as what is um, one or more things that you would recommend people to read or, or investigate if they're kind of interested? Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be directly related to esports, but in that general area. Yeah. Um... I'll answer the second one first, where to dive in, right? Well, there are lots of people that you can follow. There are lots of uh, great podcasts out there where that folks folks are, are talking about. But, but you can search eSports podcasts and you can find a lot of them and try them out and see which ones fit. Um, you can also search education podcasts with a little eSports uh, bent. Um, that's That's helpful. But I think a lot of the really good knowledge that you can gain about this is not trying to pull it from the ether at arm's length, but rather to, to lean in and connect with people, whether it's connecting with somebody um, who is uh, already doing it at your level and, and looking to learn from them, but actually engaging in professional relationships and learning communities to just ask the questions, right? 
that's the most efficient way to do it. But uh, but I am a a feverish note taker um, and am constantly trying to learn something else. Sometimes it's oh, I'm really interested to know how uh, Dan Clerkey at Maryville sets up his practices. Right, uh, that that might be my my pursuit of the week. Uh, my my pursuit later in the week maybe, and this is probably something I'm going to do. I'm like I I want to learn a little bit more about APIs because I'm really interested in pulling down player data uh, from these open sources, right? What do I need to do to do that? And maybe I'll go through with that. Maybe I won't. But um, anytime you just focus on learning something new around what you're doing, you get much, much smarter. Um, I, I think that the thing I wish I'd known when uh, when I dove into esports is that nobody really knows a ton, right? I wish I'd known that because I, I gave myself some grief in the beginning because I'm like, oh, I just feel so dumb in this. I, I didn't know the difference between TESPA and NACE. What's the difference? Who does what? I mean, I, I had to I had to ask myself those questions and then do the research and write it down so that I could almost tell myself or anybody else who asked, what is the difference between these or, or that organization? What games um, can we play? What games are the kids playing? And and often it, it just means sitting down with the kids going, okay, so help me understand how the observer for this game works, right? Most of my broadcast knowledge uh, came from just consuming video after video on YouTube, truly of like 14-year-old kids showing you how to set up a, you know, half million dollar camera kind of a deal. It was like, oh, okay, wait, hold on. He said something I don't get and I write it down and then I'd have to go figure out what it was. So what do you, what do you need to know before you dive in that you're not going to know it all, but that doesn't matter. Um, as long as you desire to know and are willing to, and we as adults have a hard time doing this, handing, I, I, the tribe doesn't, handing over the reins to somebody, as, as Peg Sheehy uh, would say, hand it over to the students and have them teach you, right? Lucas would say the same thing, and, and, and Matt, and, and all of these folks that are, you know, heroes to me, they would all say the same thing. You don't have to be the expert. You're the expert in the in the learning process, and oh, and this is this is a discovery I've made that I think would be meaningful to your uh, to your listeners, and that is that I'm the head coach of five video games that um, that I have the least amount of playing time of all of our students, right? So, uh, so my job as the head coach is that. Um, as I'm the chief educational officer, I'm asking questions, I'm formulating uh, principles and, and thoughts, I'm checking them against the students. Once we have those um, kind of organized, I'm constantly checking for understanding with them. Okay, so healers, do you know in this composition where your positioning needs to be? Tell me more about it. That's interesting, but that doesn't jibe with what she said. So. Hold on, let, help me understand a little bit more. Okay, good. That's what we're doing. That's, you know, my job is to make sure that they understand. And sometimes they teach me what it is. And my job is to organize that as, as an educator. And, and that's what I do best. Um, and they teach me. But in the end, I'm the one verifying that they're all learning. So that's a, it's a really comfortable position, I think, for most educators to be in and why I think it's much more appropriate to have a an educator be the head coach and others with game knowledge be strategic coaches or assistant coaches or title coaches whatever name you want to throw on it um, 
but that's that's what's uh, that's what's fun ab about this, right? Is that is that you get to learn as much as you do. Well, I can't think of a, a better place uh, uh, to end on than that. So, if if people wanted to uh, take notes from you, Doc, where could they find you? Oh my goodness, um, that's a that's a great question. Um, there is a uh, there's a stream of consciousness on Twitter that's uh, out there. Um, that often talks about the things that we're discovering, that the things are of interest of mine, and a whole lot of just me, just like a proud parent, although they're not my children, but they're my players and students, um, just talking about their accomplishments, right? <laughs> Love this person and all that they do. Um, so just at Haskell, H-A-S-K-E-L-L on Twitter, um, that's, I'm so old that I was able to get my last name as my Twitter handle. That's how old I am. You're, you're, right? you're an OG. Oh, boy. I didn't know that that wasn't going to be possible. So I was like, oh, Twitter, people are talking about, okay, I'll, I'll get an account real quick. And then it was years before I actually started using it. Um, that's that's the primary way. And if, if people are interested in Twitch, follow and or subscribe to our Twitch channel where I do a, a lot of content creation, um, talking about just the, really the 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 scaffolding the the inner workings of what i actually do on a week-to-week -week basis i try to expose that all the time i mean it's not it's not trade secrets um anybody who wants to duplicate what i do has to do the work uh, and <laughs> so so uh, i'm not i'm not worried about uh, about everybody you know figuring out the secret sauce um because i'm figuring it out as we go and and uh, and sharing it so yeah, that's fantastic. So yeah, we'll throw all these in the show notes so people can find them. Um, but uh, Doc Haskell, thank you so much for uh, stopping by. And you, you bet. Probably, hopefully, uh, made a lot a lot of people more comfortable in, in diving into esports in their schools because it um, it definitely is a, a fantastic way to to grow community. I think that was a great way to put it. Awesome. 